Welcome to the Diction Police Special Diction Unit. This video and the accompanying translation and phonetic guide are a production of Singing Diction GBR. Season slash school year 2016-17 is either about to start or just starting for all of us, and it's time to get back to studying diction. Not that we ever stop. We've been hard at work at the Diction Police this summer overhauling our website, which will be updated soon to include text readings of songs at slow and normal speeds and subscription options. It will also include a blog page that will contain all of the diction lessons that we've been posting on Facebook so that they're easy to sort through, plus our popular Tongue Twisters for Singers series. So keep an eye on the Facebook page for details about that. There are two versions of this podcast, the full video tutorial and an audio version for people who want to listen on the go. For more information about today's contributor, Jason Nadecki, please visit www.dictionpolice.com. You can also follow the Diction Police on Facebook or Twitter at Diction Police. Let Us Garlands Bring is one of nine song cycles by British composer Gerald Finzi. Composed from 1929 through 1942, the cycle was dedicated to Rafe Von Williams on his 70th birthday. Von Williams had been a major influence on Finzi's working life, including getting him a teaching job at the Royal Conservatory of Music in London in the early 1930s. The texts for Let Us Garlands Bring come from several different Shakespeare plays. Who is Sylvia is from Two Gentlemen of Verona, considered Shakespeare's first play, and in the play is sung below Sylvia's window by hired musicians arranged by one of her many suitors. Who is Sylvia? What is she that all our swains commend her? Holy, fair, and wise is she, the heavens such grace did lend her, that she might admired be. Is she kind as she is fair? For beauty lives with kindness. Love doth to her eyes repair, to help him of his blindness, and being helped inhabits there. Then to Sylvia let us sing that Sylvia is excelling. She excels each mortal thing upon the dull earth dwelling. To her let us garlands bring. In so many languages we have these assimilations that when a consonant before another word is similar, then you can elide one of them into the next. And in this piece we have so many places where we have either a voiced Z followed by an unvoiced S, like just right in the beginning, who is Sylvia, or even the S to an SH sound. Do we have any rules in English that govern this, or do we just have to figure this out as we go? I think the latter. We just need to sound things out and see what works, especially because not every case will be the same. So if we say Z to S is always this or that, well, it depends on what the words are and what the tempo is. Looking in our little list here that we've made, I would say all of them can be done true to the transcription. So, what is she? There we have the Z followed by the long squiggly S sound, and we actually need both of those sounds, right? Need both of those sounds, or even before that, who is Sylvia? I don't make a separate beginning for the unvoiced S from the Z, 
but if it's longer and starts with voicing and loses it, who is Sylvia? Who is Sylvia? They both sort of show up. And it is actually almost reiterated that you feel a little pulse on is almost. Sylvia. But, but you don't need to do who is Sylvia with a space in between. Right. The fricative can keep going through. It just loses voicing. Who is Sylvia? Is Sylvia. Heavens such. Heavens such. There almost the Z disappears. The unvoiced s of such is more important. You cannot go the other way. Heavens such and leave out this. That does not work. Heavens such. But by the same token, when you say who is Sylvia, if we miss the voicing on that first S, who is Sylvia, then suddenly you almost sound Spanish or Italian. Or German. Reminds me of Vasi Sylvia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is she kind? When it goes from, an, from a Z, the voiced S, to the sh, the esh symbol, the tall... The long squiggly S. The long squiggly S for SH. We need both of them. There's no way to assimilate that at all. We have to do is she, as she is fair. Yeah. With let us sing, there we have two unvoiced S's. Back to back. Back to back. And I think if you lengthen it like a double, you're set. Let us sing. Yeah, gives a little bounce to it somehow. Yeah. yeah, us is a short syllable, so it can come into the consonant at the end of the word quickly. Let us sing. That almost feels like an Italian double consonant to me because of yeah. that, that sort yeah. of bounce to it. And, and it also gives the text an onomatopoeic sound. It makes it feel like it's so much more cheerful and chipper by doubling that. That's right. Let us sing. Mm-hmm. The other thing that struck me in this text is the digraph TH, which in English can be either voiced or unvoiced. Yes, we have that is voiced and doth is unvoiced. The same articulation, but one with voice and one unvoiced. Hard to keep straight if it's not your native language. It's a hard sound to articulate, either the voiced or unvoiced to begin with if it's not your native language, I know. Either replaced often with z or s or t and d. This, that, this, that, all sound very incorrect. You know, a non-native speaker shouldn't feel awful about that in their own speech because it's perfectly understood. But if you're going to sing this type of music, <laughs> then it can't be replaced with a secondary option. It has to be either or properly pronounced. What strikes me with all of the examples that you're giving me is that I don't see your tongue, but when you say this or that, your tongue actually comes between your teeth. It's actually out of your mouth almost. Yes, the articulation is called interdental, meaning between the teeth. So if someone has a difficulty with this sound, they can physically consider how the tip of the tongue is placed between the two teeth, so that if you applied pressure with the jaw, you'd actually be biting the tip of your tongue. It would hurt. That's the placement. And actually, for people in whose language the T and D is already dental, the placement is very similar to what they'd have for N, U, D, T, D, N, L. They only have to go a few millimeters further to get the tip of the tongue and then let air pass, and they've got it. Right, but it's really a matter of getting your tongue out of your mouth more than anything yeah. else. Yeah. That's right. And so we say English is not a very forward language. It isn't as bright and forward as, as Italian or 
or Spanish, of course. But here's one exception where, boy, that uh, articulation is really far front. Exactly. Yeah. Most of the time, I think with 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 these yeah, with. T with these THs. I know what we're going to talk about now. <laughs> we are exactly. Most of the time, it's a matter of just looking it up if you don't know the word, because with most words, it's very obvious which one it is. The question comes right. with with the word with 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 <laughs> w i t h. Yes. So w i t h. That's right. I think most North Americans in our accent use the unvoiced th for with. Most British speakers, however, will do the opposite. They voice it. So it must be said that neither is right or wrong. But in a preference poll, <laughs> the British speaker would err on the side of the voiced th for the word with. For singing, I think it works really, really well, especially when followed by another voiced sound, be it consonant or vowel. So if we had with you or without, especially in a compound word like without, mm -hmm. that voiced th is best. Or if it would be back to back with another word that starts with a voice th with them, with these. Yes, exactly. With, there I say you know, as the unvoiced, because that's what I'm used to in my accent, with a word like kindness following, with kindness. There I can see an argument for the, the unvoiced th. With the kindness is definitely a more concerted effort, I think. But I have to say that it's the, it's one that I prefer. I like the sound of yeah. with, with, for beauty lives with kindness. I think it, it sounds yeah. very poetic somehow. Works. Either one works. And I could suggest that it may sound poetic to your ears and my ears because it's a little bit different than what we're used to. Yeah. And so it may sound a bit more elevated. That's okay. In this art song, that, that works very well. So we could say that with, with kindness, there's a choice. Yes. What we're saying with the word with <laughs> is that it's one to watch out for and one to look at what comes oh, after oh, it before you make your decision. Yes. So for British English, there's much more voicing of the TH. And if we were to make a rule or a guideline, let's say, it should be that in this British English repertoire, the only time you'd ever possibly get an unvoiced TH with the word with <laughs> is if an unvoiced consonant were following. So we leave it at that kind of guideline. I think that's fair. Instead of saying you must do if such and such happens after. <laughs> I don't think ever, anyone has thought it through that far. Right. It's one of those words that I think every time it comes up, you're just going to have to see how you feel about it, whether it's going to sing yeah. easier to sing the voiced one or if it goes by quickly, if it's just faster to just get through it. Yes. We see in, in French and German these crazy closed E's and these crazy closed O's. We don't generally have those, so our vowels tend not to be that closed. In this song, right. we have several places where we have that closed lowercase i e sound. Do we want to sing that really closed? Or is our e as closed as other languages? Or do we want to keep that one slightly more open as well? So in English, I think with e, we can make a, dare I say, normal, fully closed E sound and be right. The same E that you'd sing in Italian. Now, in connected speech, sometimes this E opens 
And we don't really need to worry about that for singing. If she be there, that be that I said very quickly has opened to e in that subjunctive kind of sentence that is very old fashioned anyway. It's, Should she be there, be there. Yeah. I don't say be there because it's that quote unquote connected speech that is so important in spoken English. Where we have fully closed E in, in these texts, we should sing, again, dare I say, a normal closed E. An actual fully closed E. As, as close as Italian, yes. Yeah. In the word being, then we actually get both these sounds back to back, the closed yeah. lowercase I and the capital uppercase open I. Yep, and they can both be there purely as written, as transcribed, being. And you can avoid putting y in between if you can. Which would actually give us three I sounds in a row if we did being with a J glide. Yes, that would. That sounds like the first word is be, and then a new word begins like y i n g or something being or be younger. You know, something that starts with y. Exactly. Instead of the i n g suffix that belongs to it. Right. So almost, uh, honestly, almost kind of a diphthong feeling than being. Yeah, yeah. In this case, though, starting the I starts the second syllable. Smooth transition like a diphthong, yes. Exactly, exactly. I wanted to talk about this uppercase capital I because it brings us to the title of the piece and her name. So there we have Is and Sylvia, and both of those are the open I. But... I know you wanted to talk about her name for another reason. <laughs> oh, right. Yes, at the end of the name, we have this neutral kind of A vowel, kind of U vowel that we have in many words, especially proper nouns like Sylvia, Asia, Canada, places and, and names that end in E uh or A uh or A uh or something. Where when we look well, at it, we see this letter A. Yes, and if we slow things down, to the point where everything is stretched out and stressed, you may argue that a more pure vowel symbol is needed. But a schwa suffices because it's not a specific pure vowel and it's certainly not stressed. And most British English speakers will make more of a traditional sounding schwa anyway. Sylvia. So schwa works for the end. We don't want to actually stress it by opening it too much to a brighter sound. We don't want to say Sylvia. Right. Unlike the German equivalent setting. Right. And just as a final point with these open eyes, most of the time mm-hmm. that open eye is spelled with the letter I, like, like we see with, with and lives and inhabits. But we do sometimes have that prefix that's a capital I, like excelling, which right. is spelled with a letter E. It is. And others like that, beloved or rejoice, famously. In excelling, a secondary pronunciation would be a. Eh. Is excelling, excelling would not be wrong either for okay. those. And sometimes we have these two possibilities in English, especially in English, because, again, in connected speech, it goes by so quickly. What is that sound we're hearing when we slow it down? Right. I like the excelling, I suppose partly because it comes from is, is excelling. So you get the back-to-back is excelling, and then again at the end on the ing, instead of is excelling, is excelling. That's harder to do. She excels, 
in the next line. And the E to the E is easier than doing she excels. Yeah, it almost gets so open that it, it gets stressed. It, uh, I was just going to say, there when I hear myself do it, it almost sounds like I'm going to say she exhales or something, exhale, you know, where we really want to make a point of stressing that, that yeah. first syllable, ex. So maybe a guideline with this then is that if we think the i sounds better, it's perhaps because it's not stressed. Whereas other ex words that are stressed, like excellent or exhale, those have to be e, open right. e. And here it's weak, so we can make it that i. Exactly. I know I said we'd be done, but I also wanted to compare the three sounds of the, dull, and earth. Because here we have the schwa, the upside down V, and the capital stressed schwa, which is the okay. backwards epsilon. Right. In English, where we break the rule that schwa is never stressed, we have this new symbol to create a way of expressing on the page where schwa is the stressed syllable, the strong syllable. And we do that kind of capital schwa or the, the three. Yeah. It looks like a three. It looks like a backwards epsilon to me. Yes. It looks like eh, the open eh turned backwards. The thing to remember is there is no difference in the sound between the regular English schwa, uh, and the stressed uh. <laughs> there are, <laughs> 100% the same sound. It's just that the one, the capital one, the backwards epsilon, is showing us that it's the main syllable. Right. That's it. So we can find words that in the British English have both a stressed schwa, if you will, and the regular unstressed one in the next syllable, like server, S-E-R-V-E-R. Exactly. Where my first syllable and the second syllable should match completely in the position of my tongue and jaw and lips and everything. The vowel is the same. It's only that the first syllable is strong. Of the three vowels you mentioned, the capital schwa, the regular schwa, and the a, uh, the first two we can take care of saying they're just, you know, perfectly matched. In this case, we would then say the and uh exactly in the same position. The and uh, yes, the uh, I mean, together it would, we'd have the earth, of course, right. which is why I'm right. confused. But in the second yes. last line, we have the dal earth. So the first word there, the schwa, and the third word we had is the same schwa sound, it's just strong. Mm -hmm. The earth. The one in the middle, dal, is this special English vowel, the upside down V, and yeah. that's the one that doesn't match the words around it in this line. And it also doesn't exist in other languages. That's why I'm calling it the special English vowel, ah. It tends to be stressed, or if it's unstressed as a prefix, it's an important prefix right. that we are used to, like un, or in this line too, we have upon, where we think of up. Right. Being lengthened into this two-syllable word, upon. That sound is special to English, as I say, and if we think of it on the vowel chart, it's like an open O without the lips. So if we think open O is O, or something like that, it varies between languages, but something like O, and we take those lips away, O, A, A. Yeah. So on Dan Jones's vowel chart there, we can see where the vowel sits, how high the tongue is, where the tongue is, up, up. It's quite, I like to call it shallow, right, and short, but stressed. 
and it's different from ah. Absolutely, uh, yes. TypeScript A that's so close in many ways, but is not a vowel that we have as a monophthong in English. Right, and it's also different from the uh, from really uh. Schwa. Yeah, from the regular schwa. Yeah. Our model word London, where we have the up vowel, the upside down V in the first syllable, and schwa in the second syllable. They're not interchangeable, otherwise we'd have London. And so we know that's not right. Yeah. The closest vowels, I suppose, would be schwa or bright A, neither of which is exactly it. Right. A special kind of up, ah, sound on its own for English. At the very end, we talked about the upside down V, and I wanted to reiterate Jason's explanation of it. He said, this vowel is an open O without the lips. It's not something that we really think about as native speakers, but if you do concentrate on this sound as an open O without lips, you will sing it differently. Aw, oh, such, love, doth, us, dull. For foreign singers, I've often coached this vowel similar to the schwa. Even though it's not exactly right, it's still a closer sound than a bright ah would be. Such, love. But I find that by equating it with an open O and then dropping the lips, everyone sings it properly. Don't be afraid of the a vowel. In words like as, and, that, and inhabits, the letter A becomes the phonetic AE and remains that in British received pronunciation. Many singers think that there are no A sounds in British English, but there are. And there's even a list on the Diction Police podcast blog with words known as the hand words that maintain this A sound in both American and British pronunciation. The trick with an A vowel is to be sure that the soft palate doesn't completely harden and flatten out. Find your A sound and then try to relax the soft palate so that it's not flat and hard, A, but it has some buoyancy, A. And that flexibility will keep it from being a quote unquote ugly sound. The words that do shift from A to the dark A are known as OSK words and there are no examples of that shift in this text. We talked quite a bit about the capital I vowel, but one thing that still needs to be mentioned is that this open capital I should have a placement at the front of the mouth rather than too far in the middle of the mouth. Oftentimes when we speak, this I sound is pretty far back, or even more problematic, is pronounced as open epsilon E in many American accents. In lyric diction, try to make sure that even this open i vowel focuses on the hard palate right behind the teeth in the same place that the closed lowercase i e buzzes. E, i, being, not being. Who is Sylvia? What is she that all our swains commend her? Holy, fair, and wise is she, 
The heavens such grace did lend her, that she might admired be. Is she kind as she is fair? For beauty lives with kindness. Love doth to her eyes repair, To help him of his blindness, And being helped inhabits there. Then to Sylvia let us sing, that Sylvia is excelling. She excels each mortal thing upon the dull earth dwelling. To her let us garlands bring. This interview with Jason Nadecki was conducted by Ellen Rissinger. The accompanying phonetic transcription is by Ellen Rissinger and Jason Nadecki. This has been the Diction Police Special Diction Unit, a production of Singing Diction GBR.